Welcome to the Counselors of Real Estate's Top 10 in 10 podcast series. In these 10-minute episodes, we'll discuss one of the prevailing 2021-22 Top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm your host, Jonathan Shine, CRE and CEO and Executive Director of the Real Estate Limited Partner Institute in New York. The Counselors of Real Estate are trusted advisors finding solutions to complex real estate challenges. Experienced, innovative, and credentialed problem solvers, counselors, counselors practice in 21 countries and offer expertise in more than 60 real estate disciplines across all asset types and classes. Each has earned the prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is Constantine Tino Karalagos, CRE. Tino is principal of Leonidas Partners, LLC, in West Islip, New York. He is also a managing director with Eisenberg & Company, where he is involved in the placement of real estate debt capital, ground lease, and C-PACE financing, and a managing director with Front Stage Capital, where he executes securities transactions through its affiliate broker, Moody Capital. Finally, Tino is a clinical assistant professor at New York University Shack Real Estate Institute. Tino authored the narrative supporting the number 10 issue on this year's compilation of top 10 issues affecting real estate, capital markets. To review all the issues in this year's report, visit cre.org slash top 10. Welcome, Tino. Good afternoon, Jonathan. So the counselors framed the number 10 issue as bifurcation of capital markets. What does that exactly mean? I think we're at the stage now, whether it's debt capital or equity capital, that there's a distinction between where the money feels comfortable going and being paid the right return for the risk they're taking and the segments of the market, both debt and equity, that they want to avoid because they're, long, they're concerned about long-term trends. So when you look at the amount of transactions, when you look at where the debt is flowing, there's definitely this bifurcation of where we want to be versus where we really don't want to be right now. Okay. And so can you go, go a little further with that? How is that affecting the markets and the investment climate? Sure. Uh, one, one of the things that I've observed recently, and we look, we all want the, to feel better about where the markets are. But now more than ever, when you see the headline, you need to peel back a little bit to understand what's behind it. It's, it's great that we are now surpassing 2019 transaction activity volume for the sale of commercial real estate. When you see that headline, that feels great. But un until you peel it back and look at how many of these transactions were multi-billion dollar portfolios, how many of them were industrial or multifamily or logistics, and how many of them were office or retail sectors that may have been a little bit more challenged. So I, I think, again, to that bifurcation point, it's by property type, it's by market, and those, those trends can get, uh, they can disappear in the headlines, but you really need to kind of pull back to see where, where all of the nuances are, where the, where the capital is going, where the money is flowing. So, so one of the things that wasn't exactly addressed that just has come up recently and we've had a discussion about is what's happening with inflation right now and where the investment will go considering you need to catch up with inflation. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that as well. Sure. I, I went back and I looked at the inflation estimates that were available at the time of writing the, uh, the report in kind of late spring, early summer. And the, the CPI numbers were kind of hovering around 
4% forecast for 2021, two and a half, two, two and three quarter for 2022. So I, I looked today at one of the investment banks uh, economic outlooks. And now as a result of what we've seen, the last headline number was I think 6.1% inflation uh, either yesterday or today that was reported. So now the 2021 number is 6.6% for year end, 7% for the first quarter of 2022. And then it tapers down to, and again, these are forecasts, to 3.5% at the end of 2022, which is very different than just a few months ago when the end of 2022 was expected to be 2.6%. And when you think about where the risk-free rate is, where treasuries are, uh, not, nothing comes close with those inflationary numbers of getting you to any real return, taking the risk-free rate and adjusting it for inflation. So you have to, the only way you make that up is taking risk on. So we're going to start seeing uh, some more riskier investments as we're moving forward to, to keep up? The, the, the question is, with the amount of capital that's been raised, whether it's debt capital, and the debt capital's uh, markets are, are very, very liquid right now. And there's been uh, a tremendous amount of capital raised by the uh, private equity funds, now be it with the idea of investing it in distress, and we really haven't seen that happen yet. But you, you need to get a return on all of this money that's been raised. The question is, how low are you willing to go on the risk premium part? Because that's really going to be taking a bet not only on, on where you think the markets are going to go, but also the, the cost of operating, the, the cost of energy, the cost of steel and wood, and how quickly that comes down to a more normalized number. And we'll, only time will tell over that. So among capital sources, nearly every major group, major group including CMBS, banks, life companies, and investor-driven lenders, their lending is well above 2020 levels. With life companies and investor-driven lenders also exceeding their 2019 volumes, how does 2022 look? Um, to, back to the point of the amount of capital that's been raised, there's a tremendous amount of debt capital that's been raised. Some of it, you might argue, is you feel safer in the capital stack being a little bit lower. Uh, but if it's very competitive, the question is, price is one thing, but do you start giving up structure in order to win transactions? As far as the, um, as far as the uh, equity capital is concerned, it's been to certain asset classes, but um, the, the CMBS market is very transparent. So you have a lot of detail that's available. So I just before getting on the call, I looked at TREP to see what is the data for year to date 2021 for CMBS issuance and then how does it compare with 2020 so, so a couple of a couple of quick observations one in 2020 the total conduit and single asset single borrower large loan CMBS markets aggregated to just about 58 billion dollars in 2021 year to date we have almost a hundred billion dollars that's been originated. And even more noticeable is the that single asset, single borrower number, which is the large deals that you need to uh, you need some capitalization cap, uh, capital markets to execute on the the five six hundred million dollar billion dollar deals. 
that has um, this year is $72 billion year to date of these large deals that have been issued as compared to 26 billion last year for the total year. So a lot of large deals, but the smaller deals really have not increased as a percentage compared to last year. As a matter of fact, they're down year to date. And last year we had the shutdown of the markets. So who's financing the smaller transactions if the big ones are getting done in the capital markets? So I think those are all things to kind of keep an eye on. Mute, my, my apologies, I was muted. Is that a different way of looking at the bifurcation of the market? Are the smaller deals, the smaller players getting squeezed out due to these mega deals? I, I think that the when you, when you look back at where conduits were, Originally, they were always the deals that you could not get financed in the in the other parts of the capital markets. So the the real secondary tertiary markets, the unanchored retail centers, and that has morphed, especially post uh, global financial crisis, into I'm not going to buy the bonds if they're not quality assets. I'm going to, I want good assets in my pool. So you don't have as many of those smaller ones. And you'll see the top 15 loans in a, in a CMBS multi-borrower transaction representing 65% of the entire deal. And then there's another 40 loans or 50 loans that make up the rest. But of that 65% in those top 15 loans, many of them are Parry Pursue notes carved off of large deals that are put into multiple securitizations to get the benefit of that diversification of a lot of different properties and markets and asset types. Uh, and that's where the quality is now. So they're very good quality assets, good sponsorships, relatively low leverage. Mm -hmm. But you've squeezed out a lot of these other assets that have to be getting done somewhere. And if it's not the local banks, it's maybe smaller debt funds, but they, did, they don't have the same liquidity that they used to have before in the, in the CMBS conduit market. Yeah, well, that's a lot to chew on, Tino, and thank you. We're grateful for your knowledge and contributions to this year's report. All of the, top, all of the 2021 top 10 issues are highly interconnected and then indicative of a changing and evolving real estate landscape. Join us next time for another discussion of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Jonathan Shine. On behalf of the counselors of real estate, thank you for joining us for this episode in the top of the top 10 in TED. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan.